What I am about to tell you today is shocking, grisly, macabre, disgusting. I'm going to try to avoid either sensationalizing or bringing undue glamour or encourage participation or curiosity in the subject of Satanism. But by now, every one of you are familiar with what has been happening, and you've heard on the news of the 14 bodies unearthed in shallow graves near Matamoros, Mexico, of the very young, handsome college kid from Texas who was down there innocently enough on spring break with some friends who simply disappeared from the streets of a Mexican border town and ended up the victim of macabre, grisly, satanic, ritualistic murder by drug cultists who believed that by sacrificing human beings they would actually gain protection from the police, immunity from bullets, immunity from prosecution, and the four or five who were arrested were actually giggling and cackling about their grotesque murders and freely talking about them because in their insanity they still believed that they would somehow be protected from justice being done. I have here a thick report which was gathered in the course of only about a week, which includes license plate numbers and names of people in small communities all over East Texas, places like Van or Troop or Arp or Athens or Tyler or wherever, which I cannot divulge in which we agreed to the police department we would not give to the press or read in public of people in our communities who are on a regular basis behind some old mobile home, behind a house in a ramshackle community, on certain key dates of the year, certain dates according to a satanic calendar, meeting together for all kinds of rituals involving various symbolism and paraphernalia, some of which is too disgusting to even read to you, involving sacrifice of animals and birds and sometimes infants and young teenagers, involving the consumption of body parts, involving the boiling and the cooking of body parts, things too gross and too macabre to even read to you. Some of the things in these reports are so shocking, they cost me a lot of hours of sleep last night. I was thrashing around, had to get up and pace the floor and pray continually for peace of mind to be able to go to sleep because I had begun to research this and prepare the sermon to give you, to you today. A few quick excerpts, and let me hasten to say that there will be a booklet or a thick brochure to follow this sermon, which has already been announced at the tape program, and in the third class letter, I should say, and will go out to perhaps thousands of people in the next few weeks. We will have documentation which will go into some detail, but even that is going to be circumspect, and there will be many things that we simply cannot put in print, nor would I want to say here out of the pulpit, because it is too ghastly to even begin to repeat. But we must be warned of what is happening all around us in this land, of what the dangers are for our children, for our wives and sons, and to us, if we are adult males, it doesn't matter who we are, that one car going past us on the freeway could have a group of satanic cultists in it. 
the person seated next to us in a restaurant who mumbles something over his food to be, could be praying to someone other than God as he sees the concept of God. To give you just a little brief excerpt from a special report about America's best kept secret by John Praterola, a little girl blurted out, he begins the article, they took pictures of us in the nude. After weeks of frustrating counseling sessions, the pent-up fear, anxiety, and anger finally exploded with that one shocking statement. Los Angeles area clinical psychologist Dr. Gould said, at first I thought we were dealing with a child pornography ring or normal, quote-unquote, sexual abuse of a child. But as the little girl continued to talk, she began piecing together a horrifying story of devils, baby sacrifices, cannibalism, eating feces, drinking blood and urine, torture and sex films, and the claims and descriptions got worse and worse and worse. And that's the worst statement I'm going to read to you today, and that's the worst that I would even dare to put on this tape, and some of it is so gross that you did a macabre that you can't begin to believe it. Dr. Gould is referring to what she and many other authorities are calling an epidemic of ritual abuse sweeping our nation and the world at an alarming and frightening pace. And children from infants to teenagers are the primary targets. In every state in the nation there are reports and investigations of satanic crimes. The Tyler Police Department, the Tyler Sheriff's Office is no exception. Two million children a year are reported missing in the United States, many of them too young to have been runaways. In our country, 5,000 unidentifiable, mutilated, decomposed bodies of children are found each year. Hundreds of teenagers commit suicide or attempt it after attending heavy metal concerts. I didn't know what that was. So I had to ask, what's a heavy metal? What, what's that mean? Well, it's a type of, quote, music, end quote, but it's not really, apparently, music necessarily, although some would defend it and say some of it is fairly melodic and, frankly, not that bad to listen to. But if you would like to inform yourself, I suppose you ought to take a trip down here to the uh, French village and go into the music store and go to the tape cassette sections and ask about heavy metal and then look at the labels and look at the pictures and look at the posters and the display advertising that goes along with it because apparently it is the most bizarre form of super loud discordant dissonance monotonous repetitive drum beats and screeching and wailing of all kinds of guitars and other instruments that are just super accelerated by these gigantic big speakers that just cause brain and ear damage, I suppose, in listening to them. And there are tens of thousands of youngsters who go to these discotheques and actually have to get in each other's face about that close and just shout at the top of their lungs to be heard because the music, quote-unquote, is so loud that it literally just beats upon your body. It literally shakes the floor. So we went all the way from jazz to the... Elvis Presley, rock and roll, to the Beatles, the kind of music, to rock, to acid rock, to punk rock, to so-called heavy metal rock, which is apparently, in many cases, even the words are blatantly obvious. In other cases, they are rather subtle, like the song years ago, Proud Mary, which could be taken either way, but which was in fact extolling Mary Jane or marijuana. And it was a song that was actually sung in sing-alongs in Ambassador College because we just looked at the uh, 
at the innocent aspect of it. You would not know just by singing it unless someone told you that's extolling marijuana, that that's what the song was really all about. And so it is in the case of heavy metal. Isn't it interesting that police dockets abound with reports of teenagers who went home from a heavy metal concert and committed suicide? I can show you pictures in here that will absolutely make you so sick you can't believe it. Not only the pictures that I can show you of all kinds of symbolism of the stars of David or Solomon upside down with one spire pointing downward and the use of circles that are supposed to, pr to show eternity or the use of triangles or the use of an eye in a triangle like the missing capstone on the Great Pyramid on the dollar bill. And my purpose for this is, first of all, not to appeal to paranoids. It is not to tell you, quote, they are everywhere, because they are not. It is not to tell you they are organized, flee to the hills because the Satanists are coming, because they're not. It's not to tell you that they are all united together under one cultic leader somewhere and are systematically in some conspiratorial movement attempting to overthrow Christianity to do in the country and to kill all of us, because they are not. I also want to hasten to say that there are thousands of cults and sects, and many of them have never met don't know each other, they spring up like mushrooms here and there. Some of them are self-orchestrated by weird demoniacal cultic leaders. Others adhere to the writings of a man named McVeigh that I can talk about briefly and will be exposed in the booklet, who is the leader of the so-called Church of Satan the Devil and has rituals out in San Francisco which involve marriages in funeral coffins and things of that nature, but who will tell you and tell the police that every form of their so-called ritualistic religion is legal. And believe it or not, according to the Constitution of the United States, it is. They blatantly pray to the devil, but he and his adherents eschew sacrifice or any kind of crime, including the use of drugs. So let me just hasten to say that you can't tar them all with the same brush. I'm talking of a widely disparate series of events all over the United States, which is reaching into every small community in our country involving the desecration of, ce of cemeteries, the unearthing of bodies, the disappearance of children, the murder of those children in ritualistic sacrifices and satanic cult meetings. Thousands of children from neighborhoods, preschools, and daycare centers around the country are telling strikingly consistent and similar stories of human and animal sacrifices in connection with strange devil rituals. Satanic graffiti can be found on highway overpasses, walls, buildings, and abandoned houses in many, many U.S. towns and cities. How many of you have seen that? Could I see your hands? How many have seen what you would recognize as satanic graffiti? About half. How many have seen the graffiti which merely appears to be letters which don't look like letters, like the kid didn't know how to spell but had a spray can in his hand? How many have seen those? You've seen satanic graffiti. You didn't know you'd seen satanic graffiti, but you've seen it, because that's what it is. You probably thought it was some illiterate little kid who was a dropout from school with a spray can in his hand just making marks on a wall. Some of it has symbolism to other people. You walk into a meeting and go like this, you're not necessarily saying, hook em horns. That is a symbol among devil cultic worshipers of the horned serpent, the devil, and is a symbol of greeting among Satanists. 
So maybe it's time you recognized and were warned of what is about and with what it is connected, which nearly always is certain types of music and drugs, always mind-altering psychedelic-type drugs, and inevitably sex. Cemeteries are being desecrated, graves are being robbed, bodies of mutilated animals are reported being found in connection with occultic rituals. A footnote, for the last 20 years we've heard of bizarre tales all over the American West, all over Texas, California, from one coast to the other, of cattle, horses, sheep, dogs, animals of every kind whose vital organs were missing, where the killing of the animal was done with surgical precision, where there is no trace of blood. Why? Where there is no trail leading away, there, is, there was baffling, you know, people actually began to suspect that these animals were being taken and their livers and hearts and so on by visitors from outer space because they didn't know why they were being killed. And now they're gradually beginning to learn that they were being killed and sacrificed in satanic rituals. In California alone, the reports have been staggering. In the Los Angeles area, there have been 64 preschools and 27 neighborhoods that reported satanic activity over the last two years. 64 preschools. We're talking about little toddlers in daycare centers, kindergarten, the children of working mothers, millions of young American women many of them divorcees who have to take a full-time job and put that baby in a daycare center. What waits that child there? In Orange County, there have been at least six murders with satanic ties in the last year and a half. Ten straight-A teenagers in an Ontario, California high school recently put together a two-page step-by-step plan on how to get rid of their parents and systematically take over their homes. Step number ten was the ultimate sacrifice killing their parents, cutting up their bodies, feeding them to the dogs, and then sacrificing the dogs. I can't read the rest of that passage or the rest of that page because it goes on to become much worse. Elsewhere around the country, convicted mass murderers Richard Berkowitz, the famous son of Sam, did you see the uh, 60 Minutes follow-on about that that directly tied him in, not just as one individual killer, but in connection with cultic members where they went back and got the real facts and proved without the shadow of a doubt on television that this Richard Berkowitz was only one member of the satanic cult and that he was following orders of that cultic leader and there were others involved in those murders in Brooklyn. And Henry Lee Lucas, remember him, the serial killer here in Texas, have confessed to being part of satanic cults involving blood sacrifice. In Montana, Stanley Dean Baker dismembered a man he had stabbed 27 times, took out his heart, and ate it. I won't read the rest of this. It is absolutely unbelievable. Edward J. Moody writes in Religious Movements in Contemporary America that recruits for the Church of Satan desire money, fame, recognition, or power, and with all legitimate avenues apparently blocked, with no apparent means by which legitimate effort will bring reward, they turn to Satanism and witchcraft. So they, they tend to try to glamorize it, as portrayed by rock stars and heavy metal bands, superstition, conformity, dissatisfaction with Christianity, rebellion, bereavement, or mind conditioning. 
Perhaps the best-known Satanist in America is Anton LaVey, a former circus performer and police photographer who on April 30, 1966, initiated the First Church of Satan on California Street in San Francisco. LaVey compiled his years of occult knowledge into two of Satanism's most important handbooks, the Satanic Bible and its companion, The Satanic Rituals, a step-by-step guide to performing Satanic rituals. Both books lean heavily on the works of a popular Satanist who lived during the early 1900s, Aleister Crowley. Many people do not know that Arthur Conan Doyle was a clairvoyant and heard voices. That William James, one of the best-known American philosophers, was a clairvoyant and very likely demon-possessed. That Madame Blavatsky and the Fox sisters back in the 17 and 1800s in this country who introduced theosophy and the idea of poltergeists or knocking ghosts and demons and so on, and seances or necromancy where you are supposedly able to talk to the dead, and the Theosophic Society is nothing more than a society of demonism, of witchcraft, and of the occult. Crowley may be best known to the general public for having had his photograph included on a mainstream pop album, The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper. The Satanic Bible, when first published, outsold the Holy Bible by two to one, and in some college areas by a scale of ten to one. The Satanic Bible by this demented pervert outsells the Bible by ten to one on America's college campuses. LaVey's church, quote-unquote, a church, which claims tens of thousands in the United States, Europe, and Australia employs a mixture of black magic, voodoo, the the, uh, teachings of Crowley's Satanic Circle, which were a circle which were popular in Victorian and Edwardian England, plus the works of the Black Order of Germany, which reached its peak during Hitler's decadent Germany of the 1930s. Members of LeVay's church, like others, uh, openly perform weddings, funerals, and baptisms in the name of Satan. They have a code of precepts called the Nine Satanic Statements, and they are as follows, and then I will conclude with these and get on to a few other things, and then we'll get into the Word of God and see what it says. One. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. Two, Satan represents vital existence instead of spiritual dreams. Three, Satan represents undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit. And you will recognize the lies in much of this. Satan, number four, represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates. Five, Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Six, Satan represents responsibility to the responsible instead of concern for psychic vampires. Seven, Satan represents man as just another animal, sometimes better, more often worse than those who walk on all fours, who, because of his, quote, divine spiritual and intellectual development, end quote, has become the most vicious animal of all. Eight, Satan represents all of the so-called sins as they all lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. 9. Satan has been the best friend the church has ever had, as he has kept it in business all these years. So is the cynical nine-point creed of the Satanists. There's so much here, including the Satanic Ritual Calendar, and as you can see, it's a thick book, but it includes articles, intelligence reports from police departments. Here's a list of names involved in a church of Wicca, which means a church of witchcraft. 
Here is a list of about 20-some license plates and their names and addresses in cities and towns all over East Texas who are frequenting various places in satanic rituals. But because there has been no crime committed as yet that the police can detect, these people are still freely running around the community today. Pictures here of children's notebooks and the graffiti written on them. Kingdom Come, Armored Saint, a bloody hatchet with blood dripping from it that says, Fear the Reaper. Giant words all inscribed with little things written on them, heavy metal, and again, heavy metal, and again, metal church. The following page shows, and you can't see it from where you are, a picture of a male with a pistol to his head, with half of his brains blowing out the other side, with a look of absolute joy and bliss on his face as he is committing suicide, dressed in a tuxedo with a fluffy cravat. Absolute insanity. If you were to go to the average bookstore, you would see that there would be an entire section given over to voodoo, the black arts, magic, witchcraft, demonism, satanism, clairvoyance, and sci-fi or science fiction, all of which is interrelated. And you would look at the covers of the books and you would see goat heads with giant horns and weird-looking creatures with horns growing out of the middle of their eyes and so on, and all kinds of torturous-looking things. Well, I was looking at television the other evening, and my wife said, Quick, turn to channel so-and-so, you've got to see this. I said, What for, what for? And I turned over there and it was the Muppets. But on the Muppets was some idiot painted up. Uh, maybe, it was a, maybe it wasn't even a human. Maybe it was a doll. I didn't watch it long enough to look. It was probably a doll. Painted like death with a huge big collar with a gray-blue face and just a slit for a mouth with bulging eyes making weird noises. And all of a sudden, here was this so-called Kermit the Frog. And I'm saying, what is this? And she is so mad, she's saying, I can't believe that they will let children see that kind of thing. And then I began to realize that Saturday morning is really no better. But the Saturday morning comics these days are encounters with weirdos from outer space. They're demons and hobgoblins and witches and all kinds of demoniacal things. And little kids by the hundreds of thousands are sitting there five, six hours a day watching absolute demonism on television. And then I go back and I realize it's only a modern pop art application of what they taught me when I was a child. They told me about Hansel und Gretel, who took a walk into the forest and came across the candy gingerbread house in which lived a witch. She invited them in, and what was she going to do? She was going to eat them. She was heating up the oven. She was going to push them in and sacrifice and cannibalize their bodies. But they turned the tables on the witch and shoved her into her own oven, and then they ate her entire house and escaped into the forest. An old German folk tale. Oh, the tale of the three pigs. Swear not at all, said Jesus Christ, not by heaven or by earth, not by God's throne. He even said, do not swear by the hair on your head or by your height, because you can't make yourself an inch taller. Let me in, let me in, little pig, little pig, says the wolf pounding on the door. Not by the hair on my chinny, chin chin, says the little pig, thus finding some way in which to disobey Jesus Christ's statement. And finally, the wolf comes down the chimney into the boiling pot and is boiled and scalded alive in the tale of the three little pigs. 
Little Red Riding Hood, or as one man had so much fun with it, Little Rat Rotten Hut. The Scandinavian who told the story with his crazed accent. Where the wolf consumes the grandmother and is in the bed, and we were all told this when we were about five. Grandmother, what big teeth you have. It's a wolf lying there with grandmother inside the body of this animal. But we didn't think those were bad. I remember when I was a child and I went off to see a movie the very first time ever a full-length, and it's become a classic, film had been done by the Disney Industries called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I was so petrified with terror because I was so young, such a little boy, when that movie first came out, when the witch was making the poisoned apple and cackling with her big wart and her long fingernails and poling through this dank underground river and the dungeon with the stalactites hanging from the roof. And I was so terrified that Snow White was going to take a bite of the apple that it bothered my dreams. But really, most of us think that nearly all things that are for children are just for children. And we've grown up on those things. We cut our teeth on them. We don't think they've affected us. But there are people in this room who are afraid of the dark. There are people in this room who do not have the normal fear of God, but instead are afraid of Satan the devil and afraid of his demons when it ought to be the other way around, when they are terrified of God, trembling in fear over what they know is awaiting them, and recoil in terror and fear from those in whom is God's Holy Spirit, who have God's protection. But there are many people who fear not God, but the devil. They take God for granted. They treat God lightly. God is a, a very kind of buddy-buddy, easygoing companion of theirs. But the devil, oh, they're afraid of him. They give him all kinds of horrible powers. But they're not in awe or fear in the way they should be of Almighty God. If you see an inverted cross or the occult pentagram, the Star of Solomon upside down, or the number 666 on a wall somewhere, you will know that is exactly what it means. I won't go through a great deal of this. It gives the triangle and the swastika, which is commonly used. and It gives a youth evaluation report here from the police department that the police are supposed to fill out in the event of a teenage suicide. There are several of these. And it asks all the questions that the investigating officer is to ask and to fill in. Name, case number, address, location of incident, physical characteristics, interests or hobbies, weapons or instrument used in the suicide, approximate time of the incident, was there a note, if yes, describe briefly, was the victim a student at the time of the incident, if yes, what grade or year, if not a student, when was the last year in school, what school did the victim attend, what type of student, above, below, or average? Was the student gifted, had a learning disability? Did the student use drugs? If yes, indicate the type, alcohol, marijuana, hallucinogenic, cocaine, or other. Did the victim play fantasy role-playing games? You can go down to the stores, you can go down to the department stores and the toy stores, and you can buy board games where you play fantasy roles. And some of them are called dragons and dungeons, and witches and goblins, and so on. And you can buy games that are quite well-known. And adults sit around and play them. You can buy Ouija boards and tarot cards. And you can buy crystal balls and other accoutrements and paraphernalia of black magic. And at any given evening in the United States of America, there are tens of thousands of private parties going on 
with people sitting around who look upon it only as a lark. I remember very well. It never moved. When I was in a teen canteen, 13 years of age, and some little girls and some other fellows were gathered around what was called an Ouija board. Here, Ted, put your fingers on it. Just hold it. A little thing, funny-looking deal on some kind of a board with a lot of crazy things on it. And I was supposed to hold it lightly, and it was supposed to move. It didn't move. It didn't go anywhere. They couldn't convince me it was anything other than some kind of an idiotic trick. I didn't know what they're talking about, but apparently the thing did move for some of them. What pushed it? I always suspected they were cheating. They were pushing it. Now today, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. What were the games being played? How often did the victim engage in role fantasy, role-playing games? Can other players be identified? Was the victim a rock music fan? If so, what type of music? Hard rock? Acid rock? Punk rock? New wave? Heavy metal? Did the victim have emotional problems? If yes, explain the nature of the problems and any known treatment. Was the victim a fan of medieval study, occult topics, violent movies or literature, horror stories, or sci-fi, science fiction? Indicate any of the choices applicable. Was the victim involved in a study or practice of Satanism, yes or no? Was the victim involved in or ever used any of the following? Ouija boards, tarot cards, ESP, astrology, seances, music videos, please indicate which ones, war or survival games, indicate which ones, fortune-telling. That's just a standard mimeographed police report carried by officers who must go to a town like Gilmer, Longview, Tyler, Ark, Athens, and report why some teenager took his own life. Crime scene investigators are given a list that is called Clues to the Black Occults in General. One, mockery of Christian symbols, like inverted crosses, vandalized Christian artifacts. Two, use of stolen or vandalized Christian artifacts. Three, discovery of candles or candle drippings. I won't give the numbers, but they're all the way through 15 or 20. Unusual drawings, symbols on walls or floors, like pentagrams, etc. Non-discernible alphabet. Remember the graffiti I was talking about? Animal mutilations, including removal of specific body parts. Use of animal parts, feathers, hair, bones, etc., to form signs or symbols on the ground. Absence of blood on the ground or in the animal. Altar containing artifacts like candles, chalice, knife, etc. Effigies like voodoo dolls stuck with pins or otherwise mutilated. Bowls of powder or colored salt. Skulls with or without candles. Robes, especially black, white, or scarlet. Rooms draped in black or red. Books on Satanism, magic, rituals, etc. Homicide investigations, location and position of the body, missing body parts, location of stab wounds, etc., branding iron or burn marks, wax drippings on victim or ground, and other things that I simply cannot read. Enough of that. You by now are as shocked as I am as you hear about the death of a young man here in the state of Texas who went down to Matamoros for spring break of what his parents must be going through to realize what he may have had to suffer and to endure, not only mentally but physically. But when you think about that figure, two million little boys and girls, many of them little toddlers, two, three, four, and five years of age, missing in our country every year. 
we are dealing with a crime and a sin on such a massive scale that it mounts up to heaven above like a stench in the nostrils of God and has incurred His wrath to the point that it makes me want with all of my being to be a part of that body of judges who shall pronounce sentence on the people who perpetrate those crimes. The Word of God tells me, Know you not we shall judge angels? It comes poignantly clear to me now what that really means. That eventually, as it says in the Word of God, because Satan the devil knows what awaits him, and his demonic hosts know exactly what is their ultimate fate, and have twisted the religion, so-called Christian religion, into many millions of people believing that the fate that awaits humankind is actually the fate that awaits Satan the devil. To be in a Gehenna fire, reserved, as it so very clearly says, for Satan and his demons for all eternity. And Jude gives us a little clue when he talks about wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Because Satan and his demons are going to suffer consciously forever. Now, you've heard the sermons preached if you had any kind of religious upbringing in some of the churches of this world. My wife has told me of how frightened she would be when her family for a time went to a church that had Pentecostal leanings or overtones. And the minister would talk about hellfire and how long it lasted and how horrifying it was to even think of that for a day or a week or a year, let alone all eternity. But that is exactly what Satan the devil has waiting for him. I want to show you what the Bible says about it, and it's such a vast subject, and I've got to hurry, and I know I can't even begin to touch on all of it, so those who are going to hear the tape, I urge them uh, be a little patient. It'll take us a little while, at least a couple of three weeks, but we're going to have a major booklet out on the subject very, very quickly from all of this research that has been compiled from other magazine articles, newspaper articles, and so on, and from what the Bible says. In Leviticus 19 and verse 31, God said, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Eternal, your God. There are many other scriptures on this. Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter, for example. I'll turn to that one and read just a couple of verses in Deuteronomy 18, where he says concerning all of these other nations, when you are coming to the land, verse 9 of Deuteronomy 18, which the Eternal your God gives you, you shall not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Maybe some people, like the little old lady who wrote to me and said, I could never worship the God of the Old Testament because he was the God that sent those bears out to kill those poor little teenagers when all they did is make fun of Elisha. She didn't understand that the God of the Old Testament is the Jesus Christ of the New Testament, the very member of the Godhead who was born of the Virgin Mary and who became Jesus Christ. I have stood on the top of the altar to the sun and the moon at Teotihuacan near Mexico City. And as I looked at all of these other altars for more than a mile in all directions there, and almost like I was living and could hear the shrieks and screams of those feathered savages in my mind, realizing that all of the Central and South American Indian civilizations, the Toltecs, Aztecs, Mayas, and the Incas, practiced human sacrifice. So far back as the most ancient religion in the black arts and the witchcraft of ancient Babylon, ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, and ancient Rome. Those practices have been commonplace. So people have an attitude toward the God of the Old Testament. Why should the Israelites have come in and utterly annihilated the Perizzites, the Hivites, 
the people of Jebus, or the city which gave Jerusalem its name, the Jebusites, the Amalekites, the Philistines. What was wrong with those people? To non-existent pagan gods below leering idols of stone, and they were so utterly corrupted in their practices, sexual, communal, social, societal, etc., that God wanted them wiped out to a man. That was what was wrong. He didn't want one of them alive to convey at any age level to an Israelite the way they worshiped their God. God wanted that knowledge obliterated from the face of the land. And he was using Israel as his rod of punishment to carry out his, God's punishments, on those people. He wanted them obliterated. Verse 10, There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divining. That's like water witching and tarot cards and Ouija boards and seances and crystal balls and all the rest. Or an observer of times, very simply translated, it means an astrologer. Someone who thinks that the position of the astral bodies in relation to the earth has something to do with human behavior, which it has nothing to do with it whatsoever. That is a false, lying, uh, whatever, uh, hideous lie of Satan the devil or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer, which is someone who claims to be able to talk to the dead. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Eternal. And because of all these abominations, the Eternal your God does drive them out from before you. You shall be perfect with the Eternal your God. For these nations which you shall possess hearkened unto observers of times, and unto diviners. But as for you, the Eternal your God has not suffered you so to do. Many other scriptures in the Old Testament that refer to that. You can read of King Manasseh, who reigned from twelve years of age to the time he was sixty-seven, and throughout all of his life caused his own children and many others to, quote, pass through the fire. That's in Second Kings 21 and verse 6, if you want to refer to that. Let's turn now to Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. Many people are sort of thinking maybe there is a God. They're not really convinced. They haven't been so convinced of it that they know it. And yet here are people who worship the devil and get more instantaneous response than Christians who go to church for 40 years. Interesting, isn't it, how cooperating or cooperative the devil is? The people who go to seances really do see lights and hear voices. And people in God's church have come to the ministry in times past and told stories that would absolutely stand your hair on end of how a drawer opened, and I saw and knew the family to whom this happened, in their own bedroom, and a nightgown got out of the drawer and floated around the room and went back, and the drawer closed again. Of toothbrushes that floated around in the bathroom. You read these stories of so-called haunted houses, and they're real. There are demonic spirits that are literally there, and they love the curiosity. They love the attention. They love the headlines. They love the tourists gawking and going back and forth and the fantastic attendances at motion picture theaters when a movie is made about this particular house that was haunted, and many such have been made. They love that kind of thing because they want people to get curious about it and look into it and think about it and dwell on it and get all afraid of it. That's what they want to occur because then they are beginning to influence that person's life. In the 28th chapter of Ezekiel, the analogy is given about the prince of Tyre, 
And it breaks into the type of Satan the devil right in the middle of the twelfth verse. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord Eternal. And from that time on we're talking now not of the king of Tyre, but of the evil satanic prince, Satan the devil himself, or one who is called Abaddon or Apollyon, as the Greeks called him, or Beelzebub, as he is known. Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And he was originally in his original state, as Lucifer, who was a light bringer or a shining star of the dawn. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. And I would ask you to write in, if you're listening to this on tape, for my brochure on Satan's greatest deception, because it will shock you. And also to learn about the Hebrew word nakash and what it really was. It stood up on its hind legs and appeared to Eve in the garden because it was not a garter snake wrapped around an apple tree. And this is not Adam's apple. It's merely the a part of your voice box or the esophagus and so on. There wasn't a piece of apple that stuck in our original parent's throat at all. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And it lists a lot of them, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, emerald, and so on. This is interesting. The workmanship of your tabrets and of your pipes, the Jewish version says your settings and your sockets, was prepared in thee in the day that you were created. I'm not quite certain if that has to do with the composition of the spiritual body that Jesus Christ gave to this created being, or whether it has to do with something else. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And so we see in the tabernacle the type of the two cherubim whose wings almost touched over the mercy seat, symbolic of the two cherubs that were right over the very throne of God. And he is referred to here as one of the two cherubs that were right there over the throne of God originally, perhaps for billions of millennia prior to the creation of man and prior to the destruction of this earth after Satan's rebellion. And I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. So Satan has been a created being. Till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. Jesus said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven in Luke, the 17th chapter. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. Now it fades back into the other type of the prince of Tyre. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Let's go to Isaiah, the 14th chapter, and read the companion scripture on the same subject which again is revealing that one of the three great archangels that were right by the throne of God originally came down to this earth, was cast down after he attempted to overthrow God and actually unseat God from his throne, and is now known as Satan the devil. Verse 12 of verse, uh, chapter 14 of the book of Isaiah, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? And the word Lucifer does not connote something evil all by itself, because the word Lucifer was his original name, just like Michael or Gabriel. Yet, you know, in the Spanish language, from the Latin, and even in our old American West, a Lucifer was a match. The first matches that you could buy in a box were called Lucifers, and in Spanish it's Lucifer to this day. They mean Lucifer, they would say, because I want to light a cigarette or something. 
O Lucifer, son of the morning, how are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And it fades then back into the king of Babylon when it says you'll be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And they will look upon you and say, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? So it is type and anti-type. And all of the Bible commentaries and the Bible books uh, on this subject know that this is referring to Satan the devil. Look at the attitude that Satan had. He was going to unseat God. He was going to walk right up to heaven and yank God off his throne and cast God down, where Satan then would rule in God's place. What is the greatest capacity of God that you know of? The greatest, most generous capacity of God. There are many things you could say. You could say love, certainly, because it says God is love. But that love is demonstrated toward us in probably the pivotal scripture in all the Bible of John 3.16. In the word giving and the word he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, which connotes another word, which is the word forgiveness. God forgives. Satan never forgives but retains the knowledge of sins forever. Almighty God forgives and forgets. He forgives sin, closes a door on it, obliterates it from his mind as sure as we could go in here to this computer and electronically just obliterate whole sections of memory information, names and addresses and other things by electrical charges that would just absolutely wipe it clear so you'd have completely clean ceramic disks or tapes with nothing on them. God is capable of forgetting sin. God forgives when does he forgive? Well, not automatically. He forgives when we ask him for forgiveness. Remember the teaching of Christ that was reiterated so often, right in the Sermon on the Mount, right in part of the Lord's Prayer, the example of good measure, shaken down, brimful, and running over, shall it be forgiven unto you if you forgive? Or if you forgive not from the heart, your brother his trespasses, neither will God forgive you, no, not in this world, nor in the world to come. Forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. What is the one greatest quality of God but loving forgiveness of sin? Now, when you, as a human being in God's church or out of it, refuse to forgive when someone is begging you for forgiveness, what does that make you? What is your attitude? What is it you are really saying? If someone has wronged you, you've had a fight, you've had a problem, you've had an argument, you've had something go wrong, and someone is tearfully saying, please forgive me, and you say, I won't, what are you really saying? You're saying, God, get off your throne. I'll walk up to heaven, and I'll just rip God from his throne, and I will ascend above the clouds. I will be greater than the Most High. He's generous, he's good, he's long-suffering, he's willing to forgive you, but I am more righteous than God because I see that you shouldn't be forgiven. So therefore, I am greater, holier, more righteous because I'm more judgmental, I'm less generous, I mean, I'm more, more intelligent than God. 
I'm better than God. That is a satanic spirit. Let me warn every one of us in this room today, and along who are hearing on the tape program or those who will get this tape, that in your day-to-day, week-in, week-out human relationships with each other, if you have knowledge of old sins that someone committed, and you ever dare to unearth that sin, you are as bad as a Satan cultist who went to a graveyard and dug up a body and used vital organs from a decaying human body in ritualistic sacrifice. And let me tell you why. In a couple of nights we're going to observe God's Passover. I know human beings who have shed literally buckets of tears. I suppose if you're looking at a protracted period of time of people who are so self-revolted that they have agonized over things they cannot stand when their memory reminds them of sins they have committed that they beg God to forgive them for forty years of their lives. Who are we when someone has gone through the throes of agony with God in private, on his knees, crying, begging God for forgiveness, Father, forgive me? Who are we to mount up and say, maybe God will, but I will not? How can we be a spiritual graves robber as a husband or a wife, as friend to friend, as a church member to a church member, a parent to a child, or vice versa, to go and to unearth, to dig up, to resurrect an ancient sin that God has already forgotten and isn't even in his mind, but we retain. Is there any human being in the listening, the hearing of my voice, who would ever resort to pulling out that little drawer of long-forgotten sins and sifting through it real quickly, and you did this, and you did that, and remember this, and remember that, and you did the other thing? Because if that ever happens, the spirit that is motivating you is not the spirit of God, but that of Satan the devil himself. I know that right down to the ground, because if your Heavenly Father forgives you, He demands, He orders you to forgive others. You must have a capacity, an ever-broadening capacity, an ever-more-developing capacity for forgiveness, or you haven't even made the first step toward being in the kingdom of God. Satanic ritual is so absolutely cynically hypocritical. Satan deceives. God gives crystal clear truth and understanding. Satan tempts with piquant temptations of the appetite. God will be tempted of no evil, and God tempts no man, so says the Bible. Satan exploits, uses, and abuses. God gently guides and leads and allows you to achieve your fullest capacity, the development of your own character. Satan betrays. God is faithful, sure, solid, true, enduring, never fails. Satan appeals to your prurient and evil appetites, to that which is base in human nature. God appeals to that which is exalted, pure noble and good. Satan eventually destroys. God 
creates and gives life. When Judas, in his attempt to just reach in and control Jesus a little bit, he loved Jesus, but it was a love-hate relationship. Go back and read the chapter, if you would, again in my book, The Real Jesus, because I believe that the Bible very strongly implies that. And all you've got to do is to apply human nature to what went on between many of those disciples and why it was that only James, Peter, and John were able to see the transfiguration and why it was that certain of those people seemed to form a certain clique, as you would understand any group of twelve men might do to break up in groups of three or four. And that Satan, the devil, actually, as it says in Luke 22:3, entered into Judas on the very eve of Jesus' betrayal. But what did Satan do to Judas? After he had used him, he betrayed him, his own vessel, and he left him. And Judas suddenly, without Satan's mind there, came to himself and said, What have I done? I betrayed innocent blood. Tremblingly, he took the bag of thirty pieces of silver and went back to the temple. He took it to the high priest. He said, Here, take this. It's, it's, I've, I've brought innocent blood to this. This man is innocent. He said, What's that to us? You see, see you to it. He didn't know what to do. He, he, the only public building he could think of, he threw it down by the treasury. And then went out and did what? What these kids do who've been to a heavy metal concert. He hung himself and his body swayed back and forth in the breeze until it rotted. And as the Bible says in another place, his bowels gushed out, and the body absolutely disintegrated and came apart, hanging there by that rope. So this man, who started out bitter, plotting, angry, vindictive, hateful, unforgiving, thinking that he was better than Jesus Christ, he could do it better. Why, that money shouldn't be spent for that thing to be rubbing on his feet like that. That should have been given to the poor. That would make us look more righteous. Judas always had some argument, some way that Jesus could do it better, more efficiently, that Jesus could be a better Messiah than he really was. That's all Judas was trying to do, make Jesus do it better. And then Satan entered into him, and then Satan left him and betrayed Judas. And Judas hung himself. The Word of God tells us that the time is going to come in the near future, in Revelation, the 12th chapter, when Satan the devil is once again going to try to overthrow God right on his throne. And it says very clearly that there was war in heaven, verse 7 of Revelation 12, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought on his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. You see, the devil has had the world deceived in all of its many religions anyway. The mainstream of fundamental Christianity, the Roman Catholic Church, the religion of Islam, the religion of Buddhism, Shintoism, the dozens and hundreds of gods of India, of Ethiopia, Eritrea, the animists of Africa, the voodoo and the black magic and witchcraft of Haiti and Cuba and Central and South America, the tribal superstitions intermingled in the Mexican forms of Roman Catholicism where they're actually praying to ancient gods which came right out of Africa, as well as from Indian societies in our hemisphere that are intermingled with Catholic ritual so as to be concealed from the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. Satan the devil has been very, very content to have the millions of the world worshiping a counterfeit. And now, as we grow closer toward the time of the end, we are seeing an explosion in blatant devil worship, and even in that 
He's got them deceived. They think he looks like a two-horned goat. They think he looks like a weird griffin. They think he looks like some macabre animal with a horn going out of his head. Or a weird-looking fellow with a red body stocking and a pair of little horns and a pitchfork and a widow's peak and a, a spade beard. And even in Satan worship, he's still got them deceived. But Jesus Christ of Nazareth warns us the time is going to come when there is going to be a great deal of this which is going to affect great governments and nations and state religions, and it's going to emerge again exactly as it did during Hitler's rise to power in Nazi Germany. It says in the thirteenth chapter, if we can read just a couple of verses, verse 3, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and the world wondered after the beast, and they worshipped the dragon. That's directly worshipping Satan the devil, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, and who is able to make war against him? I believe we're living in a time where we're going to see more and more of this, and it's all interrelated with drugs. Drugs are like an avalanche, like a tidal wave coming into the United States. They do not deter or intercept 10% of the drugs coming into our country. I was dumbfounded years ago when I found out that Big Sandy, Texas is a place where people can buy drugs. Little bitty sleepy town we used to make funny jokes over, a poking plum town. What's that? Well, if you poke your head out the window, you're plumb out of town. And just a little bitty old, uh, little bitty old sleepy town in East Texas. And yet drugs are available. And the kid who committed a murder and drove the tractor over his parents' and grandparents' body in the backyard of a little farm up by Pritchett, just a few miles above Ambassador College up at Big Sandy some years ago. It's unbelievable that this kind of thing is all around us in society today, as Almighty God said it would be. I can read you many examples, and I won't take time to do that, of Jesus meeting the demoniacs and the Gerasenes in Matthew 8:28 of how they recognized him, and they said this, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Are you here to torment us before the time? Interesting. They know the time of their torment is coming, and the worst kind of torment is mental. You've got a stopgap. Physical torture and torment will come to a certain point, and then you just pass out. And beyond a certain point, and you die and the mind is short-circuited, and you don't feel that pain anymore. But mental torture goes on for as long as that mind is working, as long as it is alive. Satan and his demons know that they are going to be subjected to intellectual, mental, spiritual torment for all eternity. In Matthew 12 and verse 22, and I won't read all of that, Jesus Christ was actually accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the so-called prince of the Lord of the dead, and he rebuked those people very, very strongly for even daring to make some kind of a comparison like that, and said later on that they were in jeopardy of committing the unpardonable sin because there was a youngster who was brought to him, possessed with a demon, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And the people were amazed and said, Isn't this the son of David? They're putting him down. We know him. He's one of our people. How can he be anybody? He's a local boy. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. In other words, it's black arts. 
He's guilty of voodoo. This is merely magic. He has a cooperative, demoniacal spirit, and the spirit enters the person and then comes out and he's just faking it. They were accusing him of actually being a dealer with familiar spirits. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom, thus acknowledging Satan has a kingdom, and this is it? It's all around us, the governments of this world. How shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God, in its power, in the demonstration of its strength, in the person of its one most important emissary, is come unto you. And he then said in verse 31, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, claiming that that which the Holy Spirit of God produces is actually from a satanic source, is an unpardonable, unforgivable sin. Now, only Almighty God can decide what is unforgivable, what is unpardonable. And there is only one category of sin which is unforgivable or unpardonable. Are there any people within the sound of my voice who retain inside their hearts and minds sins others have committed against them which to them are unforgivable? If that is true, then again you are trying to mount up and to be actually more righteous than God. And as Satan the devil tried to unseat God and throw him down off his throne and to replace him, you throw yourself into the same mood or the same attitude if you lack forgiveness, as Christ said, from the heart toward your brother. Whoso speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. And I could read you things in here that I don't want to pass my lips, that it bothers me to even read and let my mind take the knowledge in as I see it with the eye of things that they say about Jesus Christ of Nazareth and things they do in their satanic cults and their meetings. Whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor the world to come. I want to turn now right quickly to some encouraging verses that I want you to read and understand. First Peter 5, 8 and 9. You can take a look at the shield as I'm turning there that is on the front of this pulpit. You can take a look at the shield that is on the literature that we put out that shows a representation of the helmet of salvation, the shield or the breastplate of faith and the sword of the Spirit, and actually is a representation of the armor of God, as Peter said, that we're to take on the whole armor of God and then illustrates that and how it is to be used to protect us against the darts of the evil one, and so on. The only offensive weapon that we have is the one that I use and that you use in your testimony, your witness, your example, which is the sword of the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Every other weapon, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the breastplate, the helmet, all of it defensive weapons. In 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, he says that we're not to be like lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. 
and encourages younger elders to submit themselves to the older. And in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may in due time exalt you, casting all your care upon Him, because He cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. And I urge you to be vigilant, especially concerning your children and your grandchildren, your community and the people around you, involving comic books, videotapes, motion pictures, books and literature, movies, cassette tapes, rock concerts, believe it or not, even television commercials. Some of the commercials are so ghostly and ghastly anymore that they defy description. You cannot let your child sit in front of a one-eyed monster as an automatic babysitter hour upon hour thinking they're not underfoot, they're not bothering you without realizing you may be allowing your child to ingest absolute poison that could pollute and actually pervert and twist a human mind. Be sober. Be vigilant. The title of our magazine is Watch. Jesus said in Luke 26 there, Luke, what is it? I've got to look that up. 1836, to watch and to pray always that you might be accounted worthy to escape all those things that are to come to pass. To watch, to be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion stalks about, walks about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. You've never had a direct face-to-face -face confrontation with Satan the devil. I doubt very much you've had a confrontation with a person in whom was a demon who came up to you and just tried to deceive you or to attack you or to call you a lot of names or to inflict bodily injury. Most people have not. So how do you resist the devil? You've got to resist his influence, the world of which he is architect, his music, his literature, his entertainment, the symbolism and the things that he would like you to get to thinking about, and most of all, Resist the temptation to be curious. Resist what I called one time and gave a sermon about it, an unholy curiosity. As it says, curiosity killed the cat. And fools rush in where angels are fear to tread, uh, do fear to tread. I don't want to go down to the bookstore and buy 14 books and see what they've got to say. I had to look into a little of this, and it hurt me to do it, and it, it upset me, and it bothered my sleep. I don't want to look at it anymore. I know it is evil and rotten and wrong. Now I want to turn to a psalm. I want to look at a beautiful spring day. I want to look up to the heavens and praise God's name. I want to stand there and be moved by the words and the music of a song about a Christian home. I want to be in church with God's people. I want to pray before I go to bed at night for God to put His angels over my house and under them and inside it and all over like a complete shield that protects me and my children and my family from Satan the devil and his demons. And I want to think of positive and good things, not be curious about piquant little evil things. So it says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Another way of putting that, steadfast in church, steadfast in the body, because the faith means the body of doctrine or belief. It means the practice of the way of Christ. It means the truth of God and all of the revealed knowledge of God, and the faith embodies the church, steadfast as a member of God's church, and you have the protection 
a child who is growing up in the womb, and that is the analogy because Jerusalem above the mother of us all is the mother, in a sense, protecting us. We who are Christians are like little children growing toward our Christian or birth in the womb of the mother, which is the church, where we can be protected and nurtured and where other things cannot in any way afflict us or bother us. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but the God of all grace, who has called us into his, unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish you, strengthen you, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look at James 4 and verse 7. And then one final scripture after that before we conclude. James 4 and verse 7. And cling to this scripture because it is true, it works, and it is one you can pray about and certainly claim God's promise. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. If you have not done so, if you do not do so on a regular basis, and please recall my sermon last Feast of Tabernacles, or the one before, I think, in which I began the sermon with, You shall love the eternal your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and what happens? He will flee from you. He is terrified of the brilliant light of Jesus Christ and Christ's example. Satan the devil and his black occult arts cannot stand in the glaring, laser-like brilliance of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only time I was ever personally attacked and had an encounter with a demoniacal spirit, in my mind I mentioned the name of Christ, and instantly I was released. Then audibly I called out the name of Jesus Christ and said, In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord rebuke you. And the crisis was over. Seven people on Ambassador College campus experienced the very same thing in the same night. I never want that to happen to me again. We heard an audible knocking underneath the house, and there wasn't room under there for a tiny kitten. And it sounded like somebody was there with a broomstick on the, the uh, boards beneath my house. Stands my hair on end. i got chill bumps telling you about it. I shouldn't even tell you about it. I know what I'm talking about. There are hidden, unseen spirits. I want protection from them, and I have that protection. And I claim it. And I am grateful beyond words for that fact. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Here is God's promise to us. I said at the beginning, I don't want to do this to over-sensationalize it, nor to appeal to people that might have paranoid tendencies or to get anyone afraid. The demons are the ones that are afraid, and we are the ones who should be in awe of God and knowing that they are afraid of Christ in us. But God says this, There has no temptation taken you, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not permit or not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. We're coming up on the Passover, and Jesus Christ of Nazareth portrayed those beautiful symbols that have to do with what? Sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. And with what? Eating, symbolically, the body and the blood of our Savior.
in a holy and a righteous symbolism of accepting a sacrifice for our sins. The rotten, heinous, abominable, diabolical counterfeit that these satanic cultists are using is sacrificing animals or humans thinking they are going to get protection from the police to continue to make drugs in their Ill, uh, to make money in their illicit drug traffic that's what these mexicans did and these two people who are now somewhere apparently in our country they think maybe heading for florida in a mercedes benz their names and pictures have been published time and time again they're at large as we're talking about it right now the mastermind who actually made these people go do that they did his bidding and he is somewhere on the run hiding out from police right now today. Thank God we have his protection and that we are forewarned. And I hope every one of you will stay as far away from that kind of stuff as you possibly can. If you've got children or teenagers in school and you see some of these crazy symbols that looks like a star of David or a circle or a triangle or funny handshakes and funny signs and symbols and things like that, you better look into it because it could be a very dangerous thing where kids just want to play with it, just kind of like a lark, like the day they had me try out the Ouija board when I was 13. It's just something to kind of play with, but it is deadly dangerous, and I think it's time we were warned.